This is G&E, the podcast, Golf and Entrepreneurship, with Trey, founder of Outside the Cut. Yeah, I, I, I'm probably more shocked even than, than surprised. Because, like I said, I didn't start this with any sort of plan. I, I'm still working on actually developing a more uh, concrete plan. And so it's taken off far more quickly than I ever imagined I've been able to do things that at least in only seven months, I certainly wouldn't have expected I could do. I've met people that I never thought I would be able to at least talk to on a one-on-one private basis and text or call. And, um, you know, it, it's really been pretty cool. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of G&E, the podcast, where each week we talk with individuals who are creating remarkable careers, lives, and businesses around the game of golf. And today we have a great interview for you all with Trey, who is a friend of mine and the founder of Outside the Cut. And I enjoyed this interview a lot because Trey represents a common theme that has reappeared on the show again and again. And that is what can happen to your life if you just start something around a passion of yours. And I'll let him fill you in on why he started this all in a second. But basically, Outside the Cut began as something to do and a personal challenge for himself while he was applying for jobs and he's really been running with it since and opportunities have come in his life that he would have never had before and we'll get into what all those are in the interview but if you're someone who wants to start a content driven site and it doesn't even have to be about golf like his then this interview is for you as we discuss a lot about the strategies and how to grow in that first year and so without further ado Trey welcome to the show thanks Ryan thanks for having me glad to uh, be on the pod Absolutely. It's my pleasure. I'm looking forward to diving into OTC. And uh, so before we get into that, where are you calling in from? I'm in Washington, D.C. I actually just moved here. I was in uh, Manhattan for the last uh, roughly six years, probably, which creates creates an interesting uh, dynamic in terms of actually playing golf. So um, I'm in D.C. now. And so there's actually a good collection of uh, golf content guys in DC. So I guess I'm in good company. Well, there you go. I'm actually up in that area a decent amount. So next time I am, we'll go peg it up and, uh, you know, catch up in person. And I would actually love to rewind back to your days in Manhattan. You mentioned Aaron, even before that, so we can learn a bit about yourself. And so can you fill us in on who Trey is and why golf became a big part of your life? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I grew up playing golf since really I can remember since a young child. There's pictures of me with the Fisher Price golf clubs, you know, in our backyard. They're all plastic. And uh, as a child, I grew up going to the driving range with my dad. And sometimes I would get to go to his corporate uh, outings and, and play in those, which I'm sure his playing partners hated because we had no chance to win uh, <laughs> having an 11 year old along the team. But, um, Golf has really been a part of my life since I can remember. And, you know, it sort of changed uh, throughout the years. And I've worked at clubs when I was in high school. I worked at a local club and in college. I worked at Kings Mill in Williamsburg, Virginia. And so I've kind of gone back and forth between playing and not playing where I was at clubs. I was spending a lot of time working there, being around golf, playing golf, talking about golf. And then all of a sudden I moved to New York and this, you know, fast forward many years later 
And golf doesn't really exist in Manhattan except for the lucky few or those who want to uh, go to extremes to be able to play around a pretty unenjoyable golf, if I'm being honest. And so um, I stopped playing golf completely for years. Um, and I you know, went from playing at the Kings Mill River course every day in college for free whenever I wanted to living in New York and not even having my golf clubs in my apartment. They were back at my home in Virginia. And so it was an interesting change in my life where I, I had no access to golfing. I was doing consulting. I was traveling constantly. I was going to California every week. Every Monday, I'd fly to California, fly back on Thursday for about seven or eight months straight. So I didn't even have the time to play. I didn't have a car. And so the game sort of ceased to exist for me for a while. And then I got a new job at a hospital in Westchester. I stopped traveling. And I finally was able to get back into the game. I got a, got a car, which is really the biggest thing in New York, is, is being able to drive somewhere to play. You don't have to yeah. take the train or a bus or the subway. And so... I think in in a lot of ways that really reinvigorated my uh, love of the game and and sort of my focus on on golf in general. And so, like I said, I've I've gone through the ups and downs of uh, golf being a huge part of my life, golf being somewhat distant, but at the end of the day, it's always been something that's, that's there. It's just been a matter of frequency or access. Well, I'm sure a lot of our listeners and myself included can relate to golfing while living in Manhattan. I lived there for a short stint and it was nearly impossible to play unless you know, I was out of town for the weekend. So definitely relate to that struggle. And so you so you move back to Westchester, like you said, and all of a sudden you have access to a car and to you know get back into the game of golf again. So was this around the time that you started the site? I would say they're all in kind of a pretty close proximity to one another. I started working in Westchester in 2016, mid-2016, and I joined a club there called Knollwood Country Club, um, which is a a really cool little course, very affordable compared to a lot of the other options there, like Wingfoot, Sleepy Hollow, Quaker Ridge, and the list list goes on and on. But um, it's an awesome place. It's a Rainer Banks-Tillinghast combo. And so it was actually just off my drive home from work. So I could stop there almost literally every single day on my way home to either hit balls or walk a few holes. And um, I really didn't have a concept for the site then. I was pretty heavily into the content consumption at that point where I was listening to all the podcasts, reading all the blogs. And um, but I, I never really the thought never crossed my mind maybe I'm going to do this for myself at all while I was at the club. Actually, the concept for the site started after I had already resigned from the club and I wasn't playing golf whatsoever at the time. Okay. And so you're playing less golf. So then what was your inspiration behind starting outside the cut? Yeah, it was interesting because it was really on a whim and there's no uh, specific point or reason why I can say that I started it. What happened was I was laid off from my job in Westchester where I was working um, the hospital doing like, strategy work for the hospital. And it was the middle of the winter, 
January, February in New York City. You don't want to go outside. And I needed to find a new job. And so every day I would either be sitting in my apartment or I would go work at the Equinox gym and send out job applications. But there are only so many job applications you can send out in one day or search for jobs in one day without losing your mind. And so I set a goal for myself and I said, I'm going to send out, let's say, 10 or 15 applications a day. And one day I sent out my applications and I was like, all right, well, now what am I going to do? It's snowing outside and I sent out my applications. And so I just got a wild hair, really. And I just bought... uh the site. I figured out how to do the hosting and what the various pieces that you need to do between WordPress and whoever's going to host it and um, just started creating it. And that was really that. There's, there was no uh, great revelation or um, specific objective or reason behind it other than it was the middle of winter. I could only search for jobs and send out applications and write cover letters for so many hours a day without going crazy. And I think a big part of it was Tiger was just starting to come back. You know, he'd gotten his fusion. And so, you know, I think this is January, February. He looked good at the hero. And they're starting to build up. Yeah, golf is starting to get really exciting. Him coming back for real this time. Golf's starting to get exciting. And and so it just seemed like uh, maybe a perfect storm. But uh, I just put it up there and I did it totally silently for a while. I didn't tell anyone that existed. No one. Um, <laughs> well, I think uh, we talked about this in the past, but your story reminds me a lot of the site. I am a big fan of Hodinkee and the founder's background. You know, he started it really for something to do while he was transitioning from a job or something like that. I forget, but you know, with not much of a plan and then all of a sudden, 10 years later, well, not all of a sudden, a ton of hard work, but it is now one of the world's most recognized sites in watches and he has some 30 employees and it's venture capital backed. And I mentioned this just because it's amazing what can happen if you just start something. But, you know, something I like a lot about their brand is they have an awesome name and I really like yours as well. And so is there a story behind it? Yeah, I think, you know, I, went, I was sitting at the gym and I, I started all this in, in the same day. You know, I set up the site and picked the name all probably within an hour, honestly. Yeah. And what I did was I made a long list of golf terms and I had a concept in my head for the site being that it would provide unique content that you probably wouldn't find elsewhere. And there would be different spins on the content that you could find various versions of it, but it's not going to be run-of-the-mill reporting what's happening on tour, various sort of factual information. It was going to be unique stuff you weren't going to find in the mainstream media. And so I needed a name that aligned to that. Because I, I saw a bunch of sites that have names that really don't provide any value in terms of the brand and the content. There's no alignment there. So I knew enough having uh, been a marketing major to know that there needed to be some connection. So what I really wanted to have was outside the ropes, I think, um, which was sort of the opposite of the big journalists who get the media passes and are inside the ropes at tournaments. The concept would have been outside the ropes, but that was already taken, I think, by some boxing site. And <laughs> so I finally landed on outside the cut. And 
the concept there was just to try to relay that what we would provide would be outside the cut or not included in the mainstream golf media's uh, coverage or articles. It was stuff that either they weren't willing to talk about, they couldn't talk about, or they weren't interested in talking about. Um, and so it would, in, in that way, be unique and provide me some sort of opportunity to gain traction because, again, doing something that everyone else is already doing is a complete waste of my time and not something that people are going to be interested in when you have all this stuff coming from big outlets. Yeah, you have to differentiate yourself. And at the end of the day, it's a very, very noisy world. And it doesn't matter if you are starting something in golf or another niche or topic. You have to come up with something that is unique because there are just so many people trying to create a name on the Internet. And so you have been doing this for only seven or eight months, I think, and you're gaining some nice traction and recognition. And so what is it that you're doing that is differentiating yourself? And, you know, what is the content strategy behind this? Yeah, I think in terms of, to your point, it's, it's the growth has gone well. It's exceeded my expectations uh, by quite a bit and my expectations weren't very high, but it's certainly grown faster than I expected it to. And so I'm excited for this off season because it will give me a chance to step back away from mm-hmm. the weekly grind of what's happening on tour and think more seriously about what is my content strategy and what is 2019 going to look like? And, you know, what direction do I want to go? Because as of right now, my strategy has been flying by the seat of my pants. <laughs> and, and, and I want it to be a little bit uh, more strategic. And that's not to say that everything that I'm doing right now isn't strategic, but I want to build more structure around the content itself. And so I think, again, I want to be able to produce content that's unique to people it's uh, interesting, maybe it's amusing. One of the things that mm-hmm. I've found in just these seven months is that people are more interested in reading pieces that are insightful or provide perspective or have hot takes or a feature of a personality than they are in reading stuff that's funny. And so when I first started this site, I was thinking, I think I'm funny. Other people may not, but I think I can at least write stuff that uh, will give people a chuckle. And so far, that stuff has done okay. But the things that people really are interested interested in are more uh, thought-provoking type uh, blogs or, or pieces. Yeah, something that makes you feel something. Yeah, that it, you either you think it's a good story, it's, it's you know something that's interesting you haven't heard about, it's something that angers you, you know, to the point where I, I just wrote something about how fall is the worst season to play golf. And I think that's a good example because some people vehemently disagreed with that. And that's okay. But the point is, it's a unique perspective that people are interested in reading and whether they agree with it or they disagree with it really doesn't matter that much. Um, I'm just providing a perspective on a topic that's 
you know, somewhat random, but people are willing to read and at least open up. And as long as they have some sort of reaction to the content, that's good. Getting them through the door, I think, is the biggest issue. And funny, at least for my uh, limited following, doesn't do the trick. Yeah, and what I liked about that article from the perspective of someone who is always looking for ways to engage with their audience is that the title definitely intrigued me to click. And then the article itself was full of great points that had someone who loves fall golf rethinking that decision. And so I really like what you just said there about a content strategy that makes people feel something when they read it, they react to it. And so another thing you're doing well, though, is your social media strategy. And you have pretty much just gone with Twitter. And so why that and not Instagram? Uh, Well, I've always been a huge, huge proponent of Twitter. And a number of people that I'm close with don't have Twitter accounts or they have accounts and they basically never use them. And I just, for the life of me, can't understand it. I think it's the best news source in the world. Mm-hmm. If I had to delete every single app off my phone outside of iMessage, Twitter would be the one that I would keep and I would, I would pay for it. That's how much I love it. Um, but it, it just offers um, so many different things. Like it, you can engage with people in a much um, more intimate, deeper level than you can on any of the other platforms. It's not filled with as much noise. Like you can create kind of your feed a little bit more carefully than you can on, let's say, Facebook, where I personally find that on my personal account, I get lots of junk that I don't care about. Um, and Instagram only offers so many different options. You know, it's photos or it's videos and that's really it on twitter Mm -hmm. you can do videos you can do pictures you can do commentary um i I just find it's the my most diverse platform and i think in terms of golf content specifically the world of golf content creators and people who are talking about golf it lives on twitter doesn't live on facebook and it doesn't really live very much on instagram you know, on Instagram, you'll find videos of trick shots, which I hate, and people driving <laughs> carts into lakes and stuff. I, I just don't find it compelling. And so I think Twitter, to me, is a way to connect with um, my followers as well as other sort of influencers in the golf content area and keep up with, in real time, what's happening. And I think that's a huge value to the platform. Yeah, and to add to what you said there, before I started GE, I was unfortunately part of the crew you mentioned there that didn't use Twitter very much. And then I got into it and was exposed to how valuable it is. And it really is unbelievable. And then not just for people, you know, that you can connect with through it, but for the simple fact that in a tweet you can link to your website. And I'm assuming that this is another reason you focus on this mainly because you can build a following and then drive traffic to long form, well thought out content on your site. And so that is something you've definitely had a knack for. And I think you've been able to get to like 1800 something followers in a few months and tweets featured on Barstool, et cetera. And so what has been your thought process to this? Well, it's, it's been a learning experience for sure. And I'll give some credit here to Andy from the fried egg. I talked to him many months ago, uh, pretty, pretty extensively just about what I was doing. And I really wanted to pick his brain. So I reached out to him and just said, Hey, can we, can we chat? And 
throughout this conversation, my the one thing that I can remember from it, and and there are a lot of things that he told me, which I wrote down and find valuable, but was figure out one thing that you want to focus on and be good at. If you want to be good at writing content, then fine, be good at that. If you want to be good at Twitter, then be good at Twitter. If you want to you know, take pictures or video or whatever it is that you want to do when you're first starting out, find one thing and focus on that and be good at that. And so at the time I was, I was telling him that I felt really spread out between trying to push content out on the site and make sure that there was stuff available for when people landed on the page, um, but also trying to actually build a follower base and so the, our discussion really helped kind of narrow my focus. And I decided almost instantly that I'm going to be good at Twitter. And from that day, I started slowing down the pace of writing blogs and content where I was doing almost a weekly run at a tournament recap with a unique spin on it being more amusing or controversial topics or things that happened that week funny videos, pictures, whatever, um, which was really, really time-consuming. The content had almost zero shelf life whatsoever. You know, by Tuesday morning or Tuesday afternoon, that blog is dead. And so all the hours and time I spent on that were pretty much wasted. And so I really started shifting into Twitter and trying to build out um, the followers there with the idea that, as I grow my Twitter following, I can drive more traffic to the site when I do want to publish and produce content. And I found that that strategy has actually been pretty true. And so just based on the numbers that I see, as the followers have increased, when I push something yeah. out, um, the site traffic has increased. Yeah. And if you don't mind if I go off on that as well for a second here is, uh, you know, I think that's just such a fantastic point you mentioned there that it, that you have to get really good at one thing because, you know, I too, when I was starting this, I found myself way too spread out. And when I finally narrowed it down, and this was around the time I also started focusing heavily on Twitter and seeing how powerful it is, uh, is when things started to grow faster. And so, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is there is a lot of power in simplification, if you may. And this actually segues perfectly into our next topic as, you know, doing something like this as a side hustle while maintaining a full-time job, you know, you, you realize that if you get good at one thing, you can probably focus better. But has this been a struggle for you? I don't know that I would use the word struggle. It definitely requires uh, more careful planning of, of my time in terms of what I need to do for work, my real job, and yeah. <laughs> stuff that I want to do, you know, stuff that I need to do for my job or stuff I want to do for the site or my account. And um, I also think that the word hustle is interesting to me because one thing that people ask me is like, well, what's, what do you want to do going forward? And, and what's, why did you do this? Why did you start it? Hustle to me implies that it's a, a job. And the one thing that I tell people is I don't know where this is going. I'm still trying to figure out kind of what my strategic plan is and, and what's my direction and where's my place, where do I fit? The one thing that I do know is I'm not trying to make money. This is not something I'm doing because 
I'm looking to develop a career or because I want an additional income stream. If that happens, then that's great. Um, but it's just not even close to anything that really is driving me or the site. I just do it because I like it. I have fun with it. It's provided me some cool experiences, but it's just money or, or career as a side hustle and trying to build this into something where it would grow beyond whatever my current job is, is just not on my radar. And so it, it is a struggle to try and balance the two because the more I get into it and the more the site grows and my account grows, the more time I want to devote to it. But I have to always remember that I have a real job. Yeah, it pays the bills. My account and my site provide me no income. They provide me no security or anything. It, it's it's really a hobby, um, and it's it's just something that I do for fun. And it's a personal challenge to me to just see what I can do with it. More than anything, is I started this. Let's just see what happens. Like how big can I turn this thing into or where can I find myself from it? But, um, and I think that differentiates me from some other people in the golf content world who are just starting and trying to establish themselves in the more long-term sense. Um, and it allows me more flexibility to just do whatever I want. I don't have deadlines. I don't need to be getting page views. Um, I don't even really care about page views anymore. Once I realized that, you know, site traffic isn't something I really care that much about. It's it's to me more about building connections with people I'm interested in spending time with or gaining new experiences than it is um, building a media empire. If that happens, I'll take it. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. If I end up making a whole lot of money off of this, I will gladly quit my job. But um, that would only be by accident, not on purpose. Yeah, and I think that is an interesting take on the whole concept of the word side hustle. And I think it has really molded into that term through culture and things, but it really is just having a passion project around something you love to do on the side of your job. And if money comes from it, then so be it. But more so, you're looking for, I mean, personally, like you just said, opportunities and experiences. And for everyone I've talked to that has a quote unquote side hustle, Uh, What comes from it is beyond what they could have ever expected. And so you're seven to eight months into this. Are you surprised with how far everything has come? Yeah, I'm probably more shocked even than than surprised. (laughs) Because, like I said, I didn't start this with any sort of plan. I'm still working on actually developing a more uh, concrete plan. And so it's taken off far more quickly than I ever imagined I've been able to do things that at least in only seven months, I certainly wouldn't have expected I could do. I've met people that I never thought I would be able to at least talk to on a one-on-one private basis and text or call. And, um, you know, it's, it's really been pretty cool. And I think some of that, maybe it's luck. I'm not quite sure. I've tried to make a lot of the decisions that I've uh, done in terms of the content and what I'm putting out fairly uh, pointed and strategic in at least trying to build it up and 
and make connections, which is, I think, the most important part of sort of establishing any type of brand. It's just building out the network from nothing, which is the hardest part. And once you start gaining that foundation, it all starts to come more easily, um, which is the nice part. And I think even if you look at Twitter, like I, I always felt like if I could just grind out that first thousand follows, yeah, just get there, whatever I had to do to get there, um, it would just start coming more easily. And I do all sorts of analytics uh, on my uh, gross and comparisons to other accounts, and I won't get into that and bore everyone. But um, I think it's it's been a really interesting journey so far, and it's certainly exceeded my expectations yeah and to go off of uh what you said there for myself i started mine as well without much of a plan really and it was more that i was working and looking to be attached to golf and how quickly i was able to get experiences i never would have had before just blew my mind and the more and more i talked to people doing similar things it became a commonality and it was that if you put yourself out there with a unique approach and some passion behind it, uh, people will attach to it and things will come in your life that will just surprise you. And I mean, so if someone comes to me and is like, hey, man, I have this idea. As long as it's not something that makes zero sense, I'm always just a huge proponent of saying just get started because yeah. you may not know what comes from it. But if you work hard at it, you know, really only good things will happen to your life. And so. When it comes to experiences that you had, I know you put out a tweet. I personally loved it. Uh, you walked into the Ryder Cup presser. Can you tell us about that story? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm I'm fortunate in that my job allows me quite a bit of flexibility. I work from home, so I don't have to go to an office. I can do my work, conference calls, everything from home while I'm watching golf, or I could even, in this example, go to a tournament and uh, still keep up with my work uh, while I'm traveling on the road. And so I decided to go to the BMW in Philly, and I didn't really have a plan for what I was going to do there, but um, I wanted to see the course. I had a place there I could stay. I knew that other content creators and people in the industry would be there, and it's only a couple hours from D.C. And so got in the car drove up there on Tuesday morning after Labor Day and I had a bunch of meetings, a bunch of stuff I had to do for my real job while I'm also kind of paying attention to what's happening on practice round stuff on that Tuesday and sitting at a Panera Bread. And I started making some jokes about um, being in the Panera Bread Media Center because I'm obviously not in a place yet where I'm going to be credentialed. And so I carried that joke on a little bit and there's a couple old ladies sitting there next to me and I'm trying to talk about what's happening in the tournament and the Panera media center. And I eventually got tired of being there and I went over to the hotel where the players are just because I wanted to insert myself into whatever situation was happening there. I didn't know what was going to be going on at the hotel. I just knew that the Marriott and Concha Hawken was a epicenter of the BMW that week and I could do my work there. And so I just drove over there, sat in the lobby with my laptop. I ran into the guys from No Lang Up and chatted with them for a little bit. But also the Ryder Cup presser was happening there, which I did not know. It was pure luck that it was happening there. But in some ways, it was a gift for me kind of 
I guess, forcing myself into that situation of going over the hotel. And so I saw a bunch of signs for the press conference and I was like, wow, this is, I knew the press conference was happening. I just didn't know what's going to be happening at the place I randomly showed up to. And so I walked over before it started and the doors were open to the room and they were testing all the mics. And so basically I, I got done with my work. I went into the bar to get dinner at about five o'clock and the conference was starting and Furek was on the TV and he was walking around the hotel earlier. And I didn't really plan to go over there and check it out. Uh, it just didn't really interest me all that much until I'm sitting there and all of a sudden Bryson shows up on the TV. And then Phil shows up on the TV. And I just placed an order for dinner and, and a drink. And then Tiger shows up on the TV. Oh, and so <laughs> I didn't have my, my food yet, but when Tiger showed up on the TV, I knew he was only a few hundred feet away down the hall. And I said to the bartender, I'm like, hey, I got to go. Something came up. Um, I got to leave. And so you can just, you got my card. You can leave the food here. I, I don't know when I'll be back, but uh, just leave it here. And so I just got up and left. And I walked down the hall just to see what the situation was down there. And I figured the doors would be closed and all that sort of thing. But I got over there and the doors to the room were just wide open. I could see right into the room and I'm standing kind of at the edge of the door because I, I didn't want a, the security to kind of kick me out. And uh, Jordan Spieth walks up like basically right next to me and he starts taking a video and then he realized he's in my way and he's like, Oh, sorry. Sorry to get in your way. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> And what am I going to say to Jordan Spieth? I was just like, hey, man, you're good. <laughs> Do whatever you want. And uh, eventually figured out that pretty much anyone could just walk in there. There was no security, no nothing. They weren't checking credentials. I just walked right into the room, and I'm standing in there. It's, you know, Jim, Bryson, Phil, Tiger, Jordan, all the other captains. And uh watched the whole thing, got some video. And uh, I don't know, it was a very surreal sort of experience where you just sort of felt like you, you just make something happen. And uh, I don't know, maybe it was the right place, the right time. But uh, in some ways, I put myself there and got lucky. But Yeah, and I love that you just walked in there and, you know, what's the worst that can happen? And it turned out that you get this cool experience and... A pretty great story to go along with it just for taking a risk. And this actually flows perfectly into one of my last questions today. And I've added this into the podcast recently because I believe to get more people in the golf, you have to show that the game can give you so much if you just start, like opportunities. And you know, I always say for me, it's been friendships and business opportunities and really so much more than that. And clearly it has given you a lot as well. And so is there anything in particular that golf has given you besides outside the cut? Um, yeah, I, I mean, out, outside of the stuff you mentioned, which is which is all true for me, at the very uh, most basic level, golf in a lot of ways has just given me something to do. And I'll give you an example. I moved to Houston years ago when I was just out of college for a job. I didn't know a single person there, nobody. And I was only going to be there for six months. And I really had no friends, nothing to do, but I did have golf and I joined this golf course there. And in my free time, I would go 
play golf. And it, and it kind of gave me a little bit of an identity or an activity or a hobby I could do to fill in the void of essentially being alone in a city where I knew nobody um, and wasn't quite sure what to do. And so even now it's like, it's just, a, it's a activity for me that is a hobby and fills my time outside of all of the connections and friendships and stuff I've developed. But um, one sort of bizarre answer to your question, I guess, could be that golf taught me how to drive stick shift in a car. So when I started working at this local country club in um, Chesapeake, Virginia, when I was in high school and college in the summers, there was this lady that worked in the snack shack and her name was Patty. And um, her partner worked in the kitchen upstairs. And so there was this lady and her and I became friends and we had this very bizarre connection and she had this Mitsubishi Eclipse and she was trying to get rid of it. And so I bought this Eclipse from her and I had no idea how to drive stick shift. I just knew that the car at the time seemed cooler than my like 1992 Ford Ranger. And so me and Patty, the snack shack lesbian get in this car and she teaches me like how to drive stick shift in the car. And so, you know, by me being at the club, working there, meeting her, she's got a car. Now all of a sudden, literally for the rest of my life, I can now drive a stick shift because of her that job at the golf club. So um, probably not the answer you're expecting, but it, it's just provided so many different things. I mean, it's, uh, it's such a great sport that you can play for all of your life. It's, a great way to get to know people. And I was talking to um, Tron Carter the other day and, and he mentioned to me that golf is really the best way you can get to know someone because you get to see them at so many different levels at their highs, at their lows, how do they deal with adversity? How do they act when they get frustrated? Um, you know, what are their personal skills or their conversational skills? And so, um, there's so many even uh, minute sort of values that, that don't come out immediately just as a sport where you go around and hit a ball that on a personal level, you can really pick out a lot of different things from it. Yeah, that just may be one of my favorite answers so far. And I like how at a basic level, you mentioned that it gives you something to do. And I actually had a friend who had basically the same story as you. He moved to a city didn't know anybody and joined a golf club and made some phenomenal friends there and it's it's just this common ground for no matter where you go in the world and and you can just kind of tap into it and and get to know like-minded individuals which is uh just a good point but overall Trey this has just been great man thanks so much for coming on the show and shedding some light into building outside the cut it's been a good time absolutely thanks Ryan yeah I've really enjoyed it and um, hopefully uh, we'll stay connected here in the future. And uh, look forward to seeing what you're doing at G&E as well. Really like your stuff. Love the site. And that wraps up our interview with Trey from Outside the Cut. A big thank you to him for coming on the show and taking the time to tell us about his growing media brand. And make sure to check him out on Twitter. You won't be disappointed at Outside the Cut. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. And hit me up on Instagram at Ryan C. Walker underscore. 
I would love to hear from you. And until next time, thanks again for listening today. 